talking about fivefold giftings. And the fivefold is about how all the body um, gifts work together, how all the people in the body, how all the gifts in the body work together so that the people can fully see God. So that song, Lean On Me, When You're Not Strong, each of the fivefold gifts has built-in holes that create places for the other fivefold gifts to fit in, just like a puzzle piece. A puzzle piece without the holes is a square. And that's not a puzzle, it's just a square, a little picture. But the holes make it a puzzle and it makes the other pieces fit in, connect um, well. So that was just an impromptu thing about fivefold. You're free, you're welcome. All right, um, let's talk about Jesus today. Oh, I wanted you to see it. I didn't know if you had seen the acronym. We've been talking about APEST. Um, it's an acronym for fivefold ministry. Um, the five gifts are apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, or we call that pastor, and teacher. And the if you put all the letters together, the what's the word for that? Anagram. Anagram. Thank you, Aaron. Anagram is uh, APEST. So if you see that, if you heard it and you didn't see it, that's what it is. So don't be confused. Today, I have the pleasure of talking to you guys about the teacher gift. Now, scripturally, we're a little bit out of, we're out of order, but it's summer and some people are on vacation, so they couldn't preach when they would have gone. So we just gonna um, accept that, okay? All right, and just be out, a little out of order. Um, but you'll know about all the giftings and they'll still work together in order. And that's what we hope for. So if you have your Bibles or your cell phones or your neighbor's Bible or cell phone, please turn to uh, 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17. That's where I'm coming out of today for the teacher gift. Y'all got it? Oh, I, let me just tell you this. I'm about to teach about teaching, which is really interesting. Um, it, it's, it's going to be a lot of scripture. You should just prepare yourself, okay? If it, it's, I feel like it's appropriate. If I'm going to teach about teaching, the word should be involved, okay? So if you want to keep turning to all of them, you can. If you want to listen and just take it in, you can. If you want to write down these scriptures, this is a good way to study your Bible. If you want to write down the scriptures from today and spend the rest of the week just asking the Lord about them, reading them, it's a great way to read the Bible. Um, but today it's, it's going to be several scriptures, so prepare your hearts to hear from God. I should also open my Bible as I tell y'all to do that. All right, 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17 says the following. This is the NIV version. Um, can you guys stand for this if, you, if you're able? If you're not able, stand in your heart. Both count. Mm-hmm. All right, here we go. It says, you, however, know all my, oh, let me give you some context. This is Paul talking to Timothy. So Timothy, the letters are Paul writing a letter to Timothy. If you're going to write a letter, you should address it to the name of the person. That makes sense. That's why the book is called Timothy. All right. It says, you, however, know all my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, in Iconium, and in Lystra, the persecutions I've endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. While evil doers, evil doers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned 
and have become convicted of and convinced of because you know that those from whom you learned it and how far infancy, how far from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Obviously, that last part is my favorite. You can take a seat. Okay, so this is the main anchor verse that we're going to talk about, but I don't want to talk about it yet. We're going to come back to this at the end, okay? So store this in your heart. This is Paul talking to Timothy about the gift. Paul is getting ready to die soon, so he's like entrusting um, the gospel to Timothy. In the same way we believe in generational transfer, this letter, these letters are part of Paul's generational transfer to Timothy so he can carry the gospel. So this is Paul teaching Timothy to preach, but teaching didn't start with Paul. And so I think it's important for us to look at Jesus as a teacher because he's going to be the best example of a teacher that we can have. And everyone that comes after him is modeled from his way of doing it. So that's how I, I made sense of this. And this is where the lots of scripture come in, so strap in. So the first, uh, I want to tell you a couple stories from scripture about Jesus as a teacher and how when Jesus begins to teach, how the people respond. There's three main pictures I want to give you. Jesus teaches a lot. There's way more than three, but we don't have time for all of them. So we're just going to talk about these three today. The first one I want to tell you about is Jesus and the Pharisees. It's in Luke 4, 16 through 30. You can turn there if you want to. If you don't, I won't scold you, I promise. All right, so Jesus had gone into Nazareth, and he was preaching in the synagogue. So this whole section is about Jesus preaching in the synagogue. And every day, different rabbi in the synagogue get up, and they recite the word, and they may teach some biblical principles. It's very, very common for Jewish rabbis to stand in the synagogue and teach the people. It's very common for the Jewish rabbis to stand up and open the scroll and just read the scripture, and the people nod, and they say prayers, and then that's that. Very similar to what we have going on here. But on this day, Jesus stands up in the synagogue, and he reads this. It's verse 18. He says, And the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, and set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And, they began to and he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, I'm not going to read this whole thing, but after he says that, they continue to talk to him about what he just says. And then by the end of the verse, which is absolutely crazy, it says, when they, were, when they had heard all these things, when he finished explaining to them all the things, it says, when they had heard all these things, all in the synagogue, everybody who was there was filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the hill which, uh, which is at the end of their town, so they could throw him off a cliff. 
isn't that crazy? Can you imagine? I'm sitting here and I just read Isaiah to you, which is a common book of the prophets. I stood up and I read Isaiah to you. And then everybody in our church gets up and wants to throw me off a cliff. We got a cliff in the back. Can you imagine them trying to push me down where the cars park? This is, that's crazy. What kind of preaching or teaching is Jesus doing that is stirred up wrath in people that they wanted to throw him off a cliff? I've heard some things in a sermon that are like, oh, some jokes that were like, that's not that funny. I've never wanted to throw anybody off a cliff in a sermon. <laughs> <laughs> so what's happening what kind of teaching is Jesus doing that's stirring up this stuff in them okay pause hold that question let's go to the next story it's Jesus on the road um, it's two disciples on the road to Emmaus and they're about to encounter Jesus and they don't know it so it's Luke 24 the section starts at verse 13 I won't tell you the whole thing but there were two disciples they're walking towards Emmaus. So Jerusalem is over here. Emmaus is over here. They're walking towards Emmaus. Jesus has just died. He was just crucified, and these disciples just saw it happen. And, and the testimony of what happened is stirring throughout the city. The people are remembering this great leader who was just crucified. And there's like mourning in the city from everybody who knew Jesus because they just lost him. And these disciples, I don't know what they look like, but I imagine them just like walking sad towards Emmaus because they just lost their friend. And it makes sense for them to have been in pain at this moment. So Jesus walks up to him and he had concealed his identity so they didn't know who he was. He walks up to them and he asks them, basically, what's going on? What's wrong? Why y'all look like that? And they were like, you must be the only man in Jerusalem that hasn't heard about what happened. What kind of traveler are you that you don't know that the king was, was crucified today? He explains to them, he, the disciples explained to Jesus that he was murdered. Even though it's Jesus, like he just was in it. They don't know that about him yet. And so then after they say that to him, what the scripture says in verse 27, this is where I want to start. It says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures concerning themselves. So they started telling him that Jesus was crucified and he started at Moses and just began to explain every single scripture from Moses until the current time to them. I don't know how long the trip is to Emmaus. It must have been a long journey. But to walk in with Jesus and have him explain the scriptures to you from beginning to end is a super significant thing. And after that, they say, good sir, I know you were going to another place, but can you just come and have, like, it's late, have dinner with us. Come and eat with us. Don't go stay wherever you were going to go. Come have dinner with us. And so Jesus, after a while, relents and comes to have dinner with them, and he hands them the bread. And when he hands them the bread, he takes the bread in his hand, and he breaks it, and their eyes are open, and they're like, you are Jesus. You are the resurrected one. It opens their eyes. And this is, my, this is one of my favorite verses of all of them. It says, they said to each other, did our hearts not burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. Now, this is an interesting difference between the first group. The first group wanted to throw Jesus off a cliff. Second group, Jesus is explaining the scriptures. It's so late 
that he says, don't, they tell him, don't go somewhere else. Come sit here, camp for the night, eat with us, and get up in the morning. It's very, very late at night. And when they recognize the word that Jesus was giving them, when they see him, they immediately become messengers. And they turn from heading to Jerusalem, heading to Emmaus, back to Jerusalem, which was the complete opposite direction. That day, that very hour, they didn't waste another moment. They got up right then and began to walk to Jerusalem. That's really interesting. So hold that one. Last one is Jesus with Nicodemus. It's John 3. So Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And it was very common for Pharisees to not be the hugest fans of Jesus. Those are probably the people that wanted to throw him off a cliff. And Jesus comes in and he starts teaching about being born again. Any man who wants to enter the kingdom of God must be born again. And Nicodemus starts asking questions. How are we supposed to be born again? I came out of my mom. Do you suppose that I go back in my mom? Which makes sense. Like if you heard somebody say that you had never heard of Christianity and resurrection, you would be like, sir, you are talking about some other stuff. I don't know what you got going on. So Nicodemus is making a lot lot of sense, except that he's a rabbi and he's supposed to have spiritual eyes. Like you are entrusted to teach people in the synagogue. So when I start speaking about being born again, it should not feel foreign to you. It should feel like your spirit is leaping inside. And since it's not, it's a highlight that something is going on here with Nicodemus. But Jesus doesn't outright rebuke him immediately. It begins this dialogue between him and Nicodemus. And the Lord does call him out. You're supposed to understand this. But he explains that the kingdom of God is not about being born of flesh. It's about being born of the spirit. He begins to explain this to him. And it starts this whole conversation between him and Nicodemus, which ends in Nicodemus being curious about the kingdom and meeting the Lord. So three different responses to Jesus as a teacher. One is wrath. Get him off his cliff. One is immediate stirring, immediate receiving of the gospel and immediate activation into what God has has for you. And then one is this dialogue, this set of questions between you and God. From these three examples, the main, you can go to the next slide. From these three examples, the main thought that I had is whatever Jesus teaching does, It stirs, it demands engagement. When he's teaching, it's not about feeling good. It's not about cerebral knowledge. Jesus is the living word, right? We believe that about him. He is the living word. And the Bible says that the word is sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing between bone and marrow, spirit and soul. So when Jesus starts teaching, everything in you is, is getting divided. Everything in you is getting stirred up. You can't just continue to sit idly by. You have to do something. Either you have to ask more questions, like, what do you mean? What do you mean this is how I get into the kingdom of heaven? I thought I was going to the kingdom of heaven. Now you're telling me I got to be back in my mom, and I don't know how that makes sense. Either you got to ask questions, or you have to get him out of here. You are disrupting our systems. You're disrupting our way, and we cannot have that. You must exit immediately. Or you move immediately into your kingdom purpose. I don't know, but it makes sense that the living word would stir whoever he's talking to so that you have to move. Jesus' teaching demands engagement, and there was no other option. Even the other people, I have, there's a million stories, you all know a lot of them. Even other people who weren't Pharisees, who were just regular people, when Jesus gave them an offer, when he taught them, they walked away sad, they left everything they had, 
They left father, they left mother because that's what his teaching does. So that's the foundation of this. Jesus is the foundation of any gift that we have, but especially the teaching gift. He is our rabbi. So if his teaching demands engagement, there's something to be said about ours. Now, I love Jesus as a teacher. And Jesus came, he died, he resurrected and is now seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. Thank you for that, God, because I really need some good intercession a lot of the time. So what now do we do? If Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, he was the best teacher, but he's seated and I'm standing. What about this distance? Like what, what do we do now? Well, he had your back on this. I want you to read, uh, I want to read you this next scripture so you can see about how that gap was closed. Can you go to the next slide? All right, this is John in John 14, 25 to 26. Uh, Jesus is not dead yet in this verse, but he's heading towards death and he's talking to his disciples about what's coming next. And he says, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've ever said to you. It doesn't say ever, but of everything I've said to you. This is a little out of context, but when I was taking tests as a kid, somebody told me this verse and I will always pray this verse. Anytime I had a test, Lord, bring back to my remembrance everything that I've learned. Everything you've taught me, bring it back. You said you would. Can this apply to my driving test? Can this apply to my license test? Can this apply to this recipe that uh, I'm messing up right now? Can you bring back to my remembrance everything that you taught me? It says that he would do it. So what does this mean? You go to the next slide. This means that the Holy Spirit is now our teacher. The Holy Spirit is living in us. He sent, when Jesus ascended, the Father sent the Holy Spirit in us to now be our chief teacher. And he teaches us all things that Jesus was teaching. And that's important for us to know because he's living in us. He's living in us to make clear. There's another verse, I didn't put it up here. There's another verse, um, I think it was Paul. No, it was John again, John is on it. It was John again. He says, you don't even need a teacher. The anointing of God will teach you. That's what he says. And it's like, that's a huge claim. What about my fivefold gifting? Yes, bless the Lord for your fivefold gifting, but recognize that it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit doing the work. It's not you, which is good and bad. If the people, if you teach and the people want to throw you off a cliff, they want to throw the Holy Spirit off a cliff. It's not you. You're doing fine. You, you might get hurt, but you're going to be okay because he's good. He'll raise you. You'll be all right. It's been lot, it, actually right after that verse, it gets crazy. The one where they were gonna throw him off a cliff. It says they they like backed him to the cliff and then he just walked through them. Now I don't know what your thoughts are about the scripture. A lot of people think he like like teleported through them. Some people think he was just kind of like try me, throw me off a cliff, and they was. I don't know, but the authority of God. He was fine. You can't do anything to me that was not ordained by him when I'm aligned with him. My steps belong to him, not any other thing. So you can't, you can't take, in John 10, let me not get distracted, but in John 10, he said, nobody takes my life. I lay it down and I pick it up when I want to. Okay, so my life is hidden in Christ. You can't throw me off a cliff unless Jesus wants that. So I'm gonna keep preaching. I, none of y'all want to throw me off a cliff, I know. <laughs> 
So now I'm so distracted. Now the Holy Spirit is our great teacher, right? So these are spiritual gifts. The fivefold gifts are gifts that you get um, when you are born again of the Spirit. When you come into the family of God, these are gifts that you receive. It's not about personality, though your personality plays a role. These are gifts that the Spirit entrusts to you when you come to his family. Because these are spiritual gifts, they should function like the Spirit. They are God's Spirit's gifts. They function like him. So if we're talking about the, you can go to the next slide, if we're talking about the teacher gift, and it is a gift of the Spirit, then this is the primary function of teachers. Teachers are empowered by the Spirit to help others learn the truth of God. That's the primary function of a five-fold teacher. Spirit empowerment, helping others learn the truth of God. So let me tell you some marks of a five-fold teacher. We started with Jesus now into the Holy Spirit, now we're getting into you. Because he gave you this gift because he wants you to use it. I don't know if y'all, y'all, y'all's mamas, I'm so Southern, y'all's mamas, Yen's mamas. I don't know if Yen's mamas did this to you, but very often I would go to the store and she would be picking, I would have to go back to school shop and she'd be picking out stuff and she would be like, you think this is cute? And I would be like, um, you know, you getting this. And I'd be like, dang, I don't want to wear this. It's not cute. And so then if she gets it for me and I don't wear it and she'll come, you know, to my closet and she'll be like, hey, I got you this shirt. It's still got the tags on it. I'm like, oh, really? That's crazy. I can't even. Wow. Does it? I probably forgot to take it off. Ooh, that's crazy. you going to wear this shirt. And I just, I'm like, dang, all right, I'm going to wear this shirt. But she got me to give. She got me the shirt because she wanted me to wear it. She didn't get it to hang in my closet. It's the same concept. The gifts of the Spirit were given to you because he desires for you to be able to use them. So yes, he's a good teacher and Jesus has ascended and the Spirit is in you, but he chose this way of co-laboring with you. He could have done it on his own, but he chose co-laboring. So let's help you co-labor, okay? If you're a five-fold teacher, I feel like there are three main marks that you should be paying attention to. And I've alluded to them as the sermon has gone by but now I'm gonna name them more clearly. The first is authority. Jesus says very often, I do not come on my own authority. Everything God has said, I have said. Everything I've seen him do, I do. Fivefold teachers do not come on their own authority. It's the authority of scripture that gives them power. It's the authority of his word. My words can have the power to like make you laugh, they can have the power to like get on your nerves. His words have life. His words have the power to perform themselves. So it's not my own authority, it's his authority. I come by the authority of his word. So if you are a fivefold teacher, the mark of a good one is coming in the authority of God. It's the same authority that made the synagogue leaders wanna throw him off a cliff. In fact, what they said was, who is this that teaches with such authority? That's what they said about Jesus. And that's why it stirred them to that degree. Because he's not just standing up reading a scroll. The authority of God is on him and the word is performing itself. It's dividing between soul and marrow for them and they're uncomfortable. There's a guy, his name is John Edwards. When I was reading about this, I was reading about him. He's a five-fold teacher. Um, he, I think he's dead now. I think he's pretty old. 
Um, but if he's not, sir, I was not trying to put you in a grave. Uh, but I do think he's dead, long dead. Um, let's move on from John. John Edwards. <laughs> he was a, he's dead. Okay, verify him from the crowd. He's dead. Thank you. That doesn't matter at all to this. He was a five-fold teacher. And they said the accounts of him said that he was the most monotone teacher we have ever heard. Like, you ever seen a guy for clear eyes? Choose right. Okay, very monotone, like super boring to listen to, not captivating, just not who you would come to see, right? He preached this really famous sermon called Sinners in the Hands of the Angry God. Have y'all heard of that? Jonathan Edwards. Oh, he don't go by John? Dang, I don't know him. Like, <laughs> Jonathan Edwards. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan, you know what? He, he's older. He should be distinguished. He probably goes by Jonathan and not John or Johnny Boy. Jonathan Edwards preached this sermon called Sinners in the Hands of the Angry God. Super monotone, super boring to listen to. But if you hear the accounts of the people in the room, people said I was holding on to the pews because I thought hell would open up and swallow me whole immediately. People were weeping, people were crying, people were passing out, and he just up there for clear eyes. Jesus came, he died, <laughs> he raised again. Do you know your Lord and Savior? People are, ah! people losing it. It's not his authority. It's clearly not his ability to speak. In fact, I think God is more glorified when you don't have a skill because it's never your authority in the first place. John Edwards has no authority to hold your attention, and yet the people thought the ground would swallow them whole in that moment and repented that day. That's the authority that God desires fivefold teachers to walk in, that when you divide the scripture for the people, it does something. Not by your authority, by the authority of the Lord. That's the second part too, that it stirs you up to action. It's not about just learning. It's about doing something. Okay, yeah, it's time for a poll. Let's take a poll. All right, have any of you in this room, you don't gotta be ashamed, this is a judgment-free space, right? Okay, do it, right? All right, I mean, holy judgment, yes. Correct your brother, all that good stuff, but love your neighbors. All right, do any of you watch those rug cleaning videos on Facebook? Okay, several, if, if you don't, listen, you need to. Maybe you don't, maybe you do. They're so good. This guy comes in with this like black rug. The rug is black or the rug is like deep brown. And he just pours the, pours the shampoo on it and then he shampoos it and then he squeegees it with something. And then by the time it's done, the rug is like pink with blue flowers. And you're like, oh my gosh, that was under that nasty rug. That's incredible. Right, okay, so I watch those. If you watch those, you in a category, okay? Just hold on to that. Second group, raise your hand if you watch Food Network, Chopped, any kind of cooking improvement show. Yep, oh yeah, I see all of you. <laughs> Some of y'all waving your hands like, I, don't call me out, but that's me too. Listen, I love Food Network. I love all these cooking shows. Um, me and my grandma, before she passed, we would sit on the couch together and we would watch Chopped. And my grandma is, a pr she's a pretty good cook, like she can cook. Um, and we would watch Chopped, but we from Georgia. We have spices and seasonings from Georgia, okay? We got vegetables and fruits from Georgia, maybe Florida if they got imported in. And we got potatoes. I think they came from like England or something. 
I don't know where potatoes came from. But we got, we got, you know, Georgia spices. But Grandma and I are sitting on the couch, and some days we would just binge watch episodes of Chopped. If you don't know what Chopped is, let me invite you in. It is a show where they take four chefs and they give them a mystery basket of ingredients and say, cook it in 30 minutes in front of national TV. One, two, three, go. And then we'll judge you on how well you cooked it. No pressure. All the pressure. I know these people are sweating. They cut their fingers. It's so entertaining. That sounds a little dark. I didn't mean it to. And so, man, we're watching Chopped. And then after the third or fourth episode, my grandma and I are looking at each other like, oh, can you believe he used the cardamom? Can you believe he used the coriander? I can't even, I wouldn't have put coriander in that. You know, if it was me, I would have put cilantro or something. Meanwhile, if you handed me several spices, I could not identify. I could not identify any of them. I can tell you what pepper looked like. I could tell you what salt looked like. Maybe garlic powder, but it looked like onion powder. So how am I supposed to know? I don't know. But because I'm watching these shows, I feel like I could do everything they're doing. When I'm watching this man clean the rug, I'm like, oh, you know, he probably should have used the extra layer of soap. That would have really got, I, I'm not cleaning rugs. I'm not going on a cooking show. But the reason I'm telling you that is because during Bible times, it was a very Greek concept to sit around and consume information that you have no intention of using. You just become a consumer of the word. You just take it in, take it in, take it in, take it in, and then you become critical of it, but you have no intention of doing anything that you've seen. And, and back in the day, the Greeks, because um, they didn't have TV, obviously, they would sit around in the square and they would just proposit. Is that the word? Theories. They would just share theories and thoughts and whoever had the most lofty idea would be, I don't know, like the winner of the day. They would just sit around and talk about stuff, but with no intention to put into action anything they're talking about. That is not the function of a five-fold teacher. We are not to, consider around it, to sit around and just consume the word and not be doers of the word. If the phrase, you are what you eat, could be a biblical concept, if that came from the Bible, I think it would be really accurate. Because you're supposed to consume the word, and then the word is supposed to consume you. It's supposed to be this back and forth cycle where I am eating this thing, and then I'm living out what I'm eating, and I look like what I'm living out. If you got a peanut allergy and you eat a peanut, you look like you just ate a peanut. Your face swollen, you look sad. Get an EpiPen. The word should be like that too. If you're consuming the word, it should look like you've consumed the word. When you live your life, how you love your neighbor, how you are available to the poor, how you spend time in prayer with Jesus, how you choose sanctification even though it's uncomfortable. If you're consuming the word, it should look like that lived out in your life. So fivefold teaching should lead you to action. As a function, it should lead you to do something. On the road to Emmaus, it led them to immediately change directions and go spread the message of who Jesus is. Lastly, the marks of a fivefold teacher, one, authority, two, action, three, I had this cute A thing going on, authority, action, but then I couldn't find a third word that starts with an A, so and understanding. All right? <laughs> it, should, it should come from the authority of God. It should stir up action, and it should be about understanding. The key question that you can kind of um, ask is, do they understand? Because a teacher is thinking, if the body gets it, they can go. 
If you understand what I'm saying, then you can pick it up, you can take it, and you can go somewhere with it. That's the goal of a five-fold teacher, that the people would be able to, to receive the word in an applicable way. There are some gifts that are for building the church, like the foundation of the church, the apostle and the prophet, but the pastor and the teacher gifting are for equipping the people of the church to do the work. And the evangelists, who I'm excited for that sermon, the evangelists go out and bring more people in so that they can be equipped and grown up in the spirit. It's a cycle. Does that make sense? That's also a really teacher question. <laughs> Does that make sense? This is Nicodemus asking questions. That's a good way to understand stuff, asking questions. Jesus, even though he knows the answer, does not forsake the moment to ask you a question because it's about dialogue and good teaching has dialogue attached to it. It's not a one-way conversation. Jesus is not a one-way God. He was totally complete. He didn't need you, but he wanted you. So it's conversation so that you can understand. All right, y'all still with me? Okay, cool. Huh? Application? Application! Oh my gosh! Where were you last night? Oh, bless you. Okay, um, I didn't get my sermon ready last night. Authority, action, application. Oh my goodness. 10 points to Samara. They can be cashed somewhere that cashes them. Okay, um, man, I'm gonna try to not keep you here forever. I've been talking, usually I say I don't have a lot to say. I had a lot to say about this. So I'm trying to condense it so that you understand um, and that you don't wanna glaze over and, and stop listening. All right, let me tell you some things in church history about five-fold teachers, and then we'll come back to our scripture, and then we'll be done, okay? So I think like 10 minutes, but don't quote me. Y'all going to be okay? All right, cool. So church history. Um, so our faith is a Jewish and a Gentile faith. Like New Testament is Jew and it's Gentile. It's Jew and it's Greek. So there's a lot of Greek ways that have... Um, seeped into how we think and understand church because those were some of our early fathers. It makes a lot of sense. Um, and I think that's beautiful, like bless Greek people. Love you guys, love your philosophies, love Jewish people. But over time, what ended up happening was you saw a shift in how the fivefold function and throughout the course of history, the teaching gift has kind of been prioritized as the main gift. You see teachers standing in front of the pulpit and explaining to a lot of people, and we have felt like that is the core of spiritual gift. If you're a spiritual person, this is what you should aspire towards. No. If there are five gifts, why would the Lord want all of us just to have this one? As a matter of fact, Paul says many of you should not aspire to be teachers. One, because the, um, the judgment on them is intense. But two, because I am speaking to at least a hundred of you. I don't know how math works, but I'm speaking to at least a hundred of you right now. All of you understand me, mostly. All of you can hear me. You don't need four people right here telling you the same thing I'm telling you. You just need one. Pastors, however, you need lots of pastors. You need lots of people who can walk with other people. If there are a hundred of us in a room, how many people can you realistically be deep in life with? Not everybody. So in the fivefold, there should be way more pastors than there are teachers for the sake of the body being grown up and full. Now that doesn't mean that if you uh, feel like God is saying you're a teacher, 
think again. No, absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying. But I just wanted to highlight and undo where over time we've prioritized this gift. You can even see it in the way that we set up the church. The book I was reading, um, it's called Primal Fire if you want to go read it. The book I was reading was saying, who, what other gift would organize a church room like this where one person stands in the middle and everybody looks at them? If it was a pastor gift that organized a church, it would be a bunch of couches and we would just sit and talk to each other. If, the book said, if it was a prophet gift, all churches would be in a cave somewhere. <laughs> and then it said about the apostle, if the apostle was the, uh, the person who they had favored, he would probably borrow somebody else's church. And that's how, because that's, they building, building spaces. Yeah, go read about it. Don't be mad at the apostles. They're wonderful. But nevertheless, this gift has been prioritized, and I just want to put it in its rightful place. It is one of the fivefold gifts. It's beautiful. It's lovely, but it is not the main or the most important. There is no the main. They all are equally important in serving God and serving the body. So if you don't aspire to this, bless you fully in the will of God. And if you aspire to this, bless you fully in the will of God. Okay? All right, so here's some practical things uh, that might help you out uh, if you think you might be a teacher. You might be a teacher if you like learning and slash or studying, especially the Bible. Um, some of the, the five-fold teachers that the book was mentioning, the guy was saying that he, they spend a lot of time just reading and learning about stuff, and it's super valuable to them. One of my good friends... Um, she is a five-fold teacher. And when I would come visit her house when she was in college, she would be having, she would have the music real loud. Nobody else would be in the house with her, just her. And she would just be reciting scripture. And I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, yeah, I'm trying to memorize all of, I don't know, all of Romans. I was like, that is an ambitious goal. She's like, yeah, I got time. <laughs> what time do you have? Because I feel like I don't have the same time that you have. But for her, it's just, it's in the wheelhouse of her gifting. Like, this is what she likes. And part of it is that excitement when you get, when the lights turn on and you discover something new about God and you're like, oh, or when you're learning and all of a sudden it clicks for you, you're like, oh, this is amazing. And then you want to go share with somebody, did you know, blah, blah, blah. That's part of this gifting. You really value clarity and practicality. Often you might ask the question, does it make sense? Or does, do the people understand? Um, what I love about our body, sometimes in worship, things get crazy. Stuff is happening, and we're like, I don't know what's happening. Sometimes things are chill, but sometimes they're not. And my, one of my favorite things is when the five-fold teacher comes along and is like, hey, you can stand if you want to. You can sit if you want to. You can lift your hands. We're just going to sit for a moment and wait for the Lord. And then you're like, oh, okay, I can handle this. We're sitting for a moment and waiting for the Lord. That's part of this primary gifting. While the, the prophet is stirring up all this stuff and stuff is happening, the teacher is helping you be able to engage it. If you value truth and facts, you might be a five-fold teacher. Um, other gifts value truth really heavily. I think all Christians value the truth of God's word. But there's a way that the five-fold teacher values truth and facts that leads them in their teaching of other people. Some struggles, if you struggle with black and white thinking, it's either this or this. Either you're saved or you're not. If you struggle with isolation, you might be a five-fold teacher. This one is my favorite. You might be a teacher if 
your spiritual friends say you are. That's not one that you would think of, but these gifts do not exist in a vacuum. It's so good to have the body come around you and affirm you in your gifts. Say, hey, I think you might be a five-fold teacher. How do you know if you can sing or not? If you just sing at home by yourself, you probably think you can sing. I don't know if it's verified or not, but you think you can sing. But when you open your mouth and you start singing and somebody says, oh, that sounds good, then you're like, oh, maybe I can sing. It works the same way with all of these gifts. Listen to your spiritual family as they call out what they see God doing in you. I think for me, the call um, to vocational church ministry came from like years and years of doing stuff in the church and people being like, Kiara, I think there's anointing on your life for this. I think there's grace for this thing. I think you should keep pursuing it. For years and years, I'm talking like 10 years old to now, even earlier than that. So listen to your spiritual family and for everyone else, be spiritual family to each other. You see some stuff in people, call it out of them. You might be a part of them fulfilling their God purpose. All right, so let's go back to our scripture as we close. Um, I don't know who's doing musical things. John or Jake, but all right, bless you. So 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17. Y'all hot? Okay. I didn't turn my fan on, and that was a poor decision on my part. I'm hot. This is the part I really want to read to you. It says, all scripture is God breathed out and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The ESV says um, that the servant of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I think outside of the teaching gift, I think this is the fundamental desire of God, that we would be full and complete and whole ready to carry out every work in him. And the teacher, this is their desire too. That somehow in correction and training and rebuking and affirming, you will be made full in him because he's coming back for a bride that's spotless, without blemish. She's coming back for us. And this is part of the Lord's desire for that. So you might be a five-fold teacher. Ask the Lord about it. He'll let you know. Ask some people that you trust. Um, but if you're not, God desires that you would be whole and complete, lacking no good thing. His desire for you is ultimately good, ultimately and completely good. So if you need some goodness, uh, Jesus is here to give you goodness. If you need uh, correction, if you need rebuke, if you need training, if you need healing, if you need restoration, Jesus is here to give you all those things. He likes you. He wants to. So I'm just going to pray, and then the prayer ministers will come up, and then if you want to receive from God via them, you can. If you want to pray in your seat, you can. If you want to just go home and live your life with Jesus, you can. Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you for stirring up every good gift. And actually, I pray now that you stir up every good gift in the family of God today. That everything that you had lie dormant, 
in them. That in this season should come alive, I call it to, to life in Jesus' name. That your people would walk in completion, wholeness, and fullness because of your goodness, God. We ask for your spirit to come and fill, to lead and guide into all truth. God, I bless your people. I thank you, Lord, for just the good work that you're doing. In this season, you're building the body to be able to function in fullness. And so we yield to that, God. I mean, we say yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen.